About six months ago, I was incredibly moved when I heard a story about our local chamber of commerce and how someone there had gone through a, a terrible, devastating uh, period of grief and how the community uh, of the employees and the leaders at the Chamber of Commerce had such a beautiful human-centered response to her grief. So we've asked them to join us today on The Behaviorist. Grief is a universal human experience, yet workplace culture is often inhospitable to people suffering profound loss. Today, we'll examine one workplace that was the opposite of inhospitable, but warm and compassionate. Welcome to The Behaviorist with Work Wisdom, where we help you adopt high-performance mindsets, behaviors, communication, and culture. Our intention for the Behaviorist podcast is to share accessible, concrete practices that you can weave into your whole life to begin a shift toward joy and meaningful achievement. I'm your host, Kedron Crosby, and I'm so grateful to have Ashley Garcia, Business Connections Coordinator at the Lancaster Chamber of Commerce, and Tom Baldridge, President and CEO of the Lancaster Chamber of Commerce, joining me today to talk about this difficult topic Thank you so much for being here. Welcome. Thank, Thank you, you for having us. Have either of you seen the new Mr. Rogers movie? I have not. I have There's not. I'm it's sorry to say. It's so good. Yeah. And one of the most so powerful pieces of it um, is where he says, if it's mentionable, it's manageable. And so that is something that's a bit of a theme here at Work Wisdom. If it's mentionable, it's manageable. Grief in the workplace, um, really until recently, was something that went unmentioned very often. And it caused something called disenfranchised grief, where you weren't really able to feel supported because people didn't really want to talk about it. Very often, leaders and your coworkers would step away to give you space to try and process, but yet that's sort of the opposite of what we now need. Mm -hmm. um, there was a fantastic article in Harvard Business Review last summer, the July-August issue, and they talked about the fact that as these conventional institutions in society like, like religion and government, community centers, all of the you know, the Elks Clubs and the women's societies, all of that is going away, it puts an increasing responsibility on the workplace to be um, the the space where we do all of our human work. The you know the celebration of birth, um, the marriages, um, just sort of growing up together is what we say here at Work Wisdom, and part of that is also grieving. So I wanted to talk a little bit about um, the experience that I, I witnessed, I heard a little bit about at the Lancaster Chamber of Commerce because it was so um, powerful and such an exemplar in how workplaces can manage through difficult times in our lives um, so that we have truly human-centered spaces where we can support each other. So, um, Ashley, I know that you faced an incredible loss this past year, and um, I was wondering if you'd be willing to just talk a little bit about what that loss was like 
Yeah. No, certainly. And I have to add, too, to your opening comments that when it comes to grief in the workplace, it's also one of those things that, at least for me, you also don't think about it until it happens to you. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I mean, I've worked with other people who have lost someone close mm-hmm. to them, and I had the typical response. And then when it happened to me, I realized, wow, that wasn't really the best way to respond yeah. to that person's grief. But um, yeah. so uh, my story is uh, happened last January. So uh, last January 9th, 2019, my younger sister, uh, her name uh, is Elena, and she was 31 at the time. And she called me that evening, actually, as I was driving home from work and told me the news that she had been diagnosed with leukemia. So uh, at the time I was driving, so I had to pull the car over and I was frantic and like, what are you talking about? and for for everyone to understand too, like my sister and I have been best friends our entire lives, um, only 19 months apart. I always describe us as twins, but not twins. <laughs> and so when she said that, I just had to go to her side. Yeah. So I drove home, got myself collected, and then went to be with her. Um, and then from there, we thought, okay, she has leukemia, but this is treatable. Like they had a plan in place on next steps. And then it all just started rapidly changing from there. So the doctor came back in the room and he said, okay, you have leukemia. We know that. Now we need to figure out what type of leukemia you have. And so they started running all of these tests. And then a lot long into that part of the process, they realized that that hospital was not equipped for the treatment that she needed. Mm -hmm. And so then the next stage of it was where are we transferring her? And so from there also became a little bit more scary because it was already shocking to hear the news that she had leukemia when a month ago she was completely healthy and nothing had been wrong. And so now they're telling us that she needs more intensive treatment and not in Lancaster. So um, ultimately she ended up in Pittsburgh, Mm -hmm. which was a little unfortunate because it was four hours away from home. And um, she also had a young son at the time. So it was hard to be away from family. But she um, ended up being transferred there via ambulance. Her husband and my best friend who actually lives in Pittsburgh went to be with her. And I went home with my parents to help out with her son. So the next day I remember going into work and I talked to Tom and other people and told them the situation and everybody was extremely understanding because I wanted to go to Pittsburgh and be with her for the first couple of days as we figured out like what the next stage of things were for her to do. So that was good. Everybody was very understanding and I went to Pittsburgh to be with her again. Um, While in Pittsburgh, she was diagnosed with AML, which was the type of leukemia that she had, which apparently is a little bit more rare than some. And she also was diagnosed with the flu, Mm. which wasn't helping matters. So it was a very surreal experience because when she was there, we were in um, the intensive care unit and everybody that was in her room had to be um, gowns, masks, gloves, the whole thing. So it was a very clinical experience when you're trying to be in there comforting her by her side. Um, She was extremely brave through the whole process and never complained or didn't complain much because she was a nurse herself. So Mm. she knew what it was like to Mm -hmm. be a patient. And she was always very concerned about the people who were helping her, which was such an Elena response. Um, But anyway, so we were in the room trying to figure out what was happening. And they started uh, continuous rounds of chemotherapy for her and blood transfusions. And it just really, really every day was like a whole whirlwind because we got new news every single day that it was like, okay, how is this happening? Mm -hmm. And so from there, 
Uh, the plan was that she was going to be in Pittsburgh for several weeks as she had continuous rounds of chemotherapy and then um, maybe have to do like a, a bone marrow transfusion or something like that, which was we were hoping we didn't get to that place. So after a few days of being with the hospital, I came back to Lancaster and I met again with um, my team and I said, look, this is the long term plan for Elena. And at that time, I was planning to be at work for about another week before I headed back out to Pittsburgh to be with her again. And then the next day, I was sitting at my desk, and I remember this moment so vividly, and I was just answering emails. I was really busy at work because we had this event going on that had reached capacity, and people were like emailing me like crazy to get into it. So I was like working away, being very distracted, and my phone rings. And it's my mom. And whenever you see a family calling during a situation like that, you know it's probably not good. So I answer the phone, and all my mom said was, Ashley, you need to come home right now. Elena's had a brain bleed. And my heart just sank. And so Tom was actually standing in front of my desk talking to another colleague at the time. And I think all he had to do was look at me to know that, oh my gosh, something's wrong. And I just was like, I got to go. <laughs> And I remember Tom came over and first gave me a hug. So he did that. And then the second thing he said was, don't worry about work. And like, I really mean, don't worry about work. Like, don't even think about it. And I was like, okay, I'm not. And then I left. A colleague drove me home. Somebody else drove my other car home. And then um, I got in the car with my mom, my dad, and my son, and Elena's son. And we headed off to Pittsburgh. And as soon as we walked into her room, I mean, it was like she, she wasn't there anymore. Mm -hmm. So we had gone in the room and there was hope that parts of her was, were still there, but it didn't look good. Um, and so we were just all there by her side and just kind of praying for a miracle mm -hmm. at that point in time. But we had known that she had this brain bleed and it just didn't look good. So we were taking shifts, being with her 24-7 as she's on like ventilators and all that kind of stuff. And the turning point for me was it was about one o'clock in the morning or something like that. And my dad and I had come back into the hospital room um, so that her husband and my mom could, could get some sleep. And I just remember sitting there and praying like anything you can do to come back, like come back. And, you know, like I mentioned, we had the gowns and the gloves on and everything like that. And I couldn't really like lay next to her because she's hooked up to all these things. Yeah. And all I remember was um, I sat by like her legs and I had fallen asleep sort of over top of like her legs. And when I woke up a few hours later, I just knew that that was it. Like she was gone. And then um, the next morning, the doctors came in and continued their routine talks with us. And from there, they said, we're going to run some tests to more or less just see if she's brain dead. And that's just like the most devastating news you can hear and something I wouldn't wish for anybody to ever experience because um, those tests are frightening and horrible to sit through. But um, ultimately, they did diagnose her as brain dead. And we had to make the decision to to let her go and say goodbye, which mm -hmm. is what we had to do. And so ever since then, um, and I should mention all of this too was only a week's time frame. <laughs> so Goodness. it was literally yeah. January 9th, we found out that Elena had leukemia. And then January 16th, we had said goodbye to Elena at 5.15 p.m. on January 16th. 
Yeah. So it was like a whirlwind experience that sometimes I still can't wrap my head around. Yeah. 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 And um, Tom, I want to hear a little bit about your response in that moment. It sounded like it was just so natural that you you saw her face you worked for many years together and so you could probably read where she was at and what she needed to hear um can you talk a little bit about you know how much thinking through you did or or what you know where that response yeah (laughs) yeah yeah where that response came from um you know i think that one of the things that i love about this story is that there wasn't it wasn't a moment where you decided to consult the employee handbook you know it was absolutely that you were um definitive about what needed to happen don't think about work Mm go you know do do the right thing Mm -hmm. when after you came back um what was what were some of the other responses from your colleagues Yeah. Well, um, even during the whole time that I was back and forth between Pittsburgh, I the whole time felt support from Tom and my colleagues. Um, A lot of texts, a lot of phone calls, just checking in on not just me, but Elena and my parents and everybody um, that was going through it. And then when I came back to work, you know, it was a lot of the, well, even before I came back to work, there was a lot of things that were meaningful to me, um, which was, you know, people actually coming to visit me. Uh, the chamber sent meals home for mm-hmm. me and my family. You know, there were flowers. There was a large response of people who actually came to Elena's uh, funeral, and, and, and that certainly meant a lot to me and my family. Uh, we had set up a fund for Jackson. Mm-hmm. Um, some people donated to that fund. So there were just a lot of ways that people had reached out or consoled my family and I during that time, and it was just extremely meaningful that they were thinking about us. So, Tom, I'm thinking about your response, your response in that moment when when you saw Ashley's face. I'm thinking about how you as a leader showed up in that moment and how you as a leader knew how to respond in a way that would help her feel supported. So can you talk a little bit about just sort of you as the leader of this organization caring for your, your people? Uh, I can, but I, I will say that as you continue to emphasize the word leader in your question, it, uh, n- my response had nothing to do with me as a leader. It just had to do with uh, me as a person. And uh, I don't say that like it's uh, arrogant or that I'm so great, but I just it, the uh, roles go out the window, ideally, I think, at a time like this where it's more about centered around the person that needs the support and the care, and what are you going to do about that? And that has nothing to do with if it's my director or my leader or my board chair, whatever, you know? So that's where the uh, that's where the energy went in trying to figure out what we're going to do for Ashley. And I was certainly not alone with that kind of uh, reaction because that's essentially what the entire staff was of the mindset. Yeah, I like that, that the roles go out the, the window yeah. in the moments like that where you realize what's really important. Um, so can you talk a little bit about experiences, experiences you may have had in your own life that informed why or how you showed up in that moment, um, in that human-centered way? So in part for this podcast, but also just in part because I've kind of developed this over the years anyway, so I kind of do have three general rules of thumb that I, that I think about. One was... 
uh, and I think the most compelling for me, was born from when my father died six, six years ago now. And my, uh, the, the board chair of the chamber at the time, Ralph Simpson, for Morphal Construction, uh, was very helpful in understanding that my father had passed away. But, but most significantly, what he said to me was, I was, I was challenged to try to get back or not get back, and we had things going on that I was trying to show up for, et cetera. And he said, uh, you know, your dad only dies once in your entire life. So do what you need to do to deal with that. Yeah. Uh, it was pretty perfect. Yeah. So that has really stuck with me yeah. as I start to choke up. Yeah, over. yeah. Uh, that was one. Yeah. Whether or not I'll be able to get through the other two, I don't know, but let's try it. So the second one <laughs> was uh, that I realized when I came back too early mm. that I was angry that everything else around me was business as usual. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I wouldn't want to do that to anybody else. Yeah. To have them come back and just be ticked. That yeah. We're all going about our day. And it's like, wait a minute, my sister died. Please pay attention to me. So there was that. Yeah. And then the third uh, is was born primarily from when my son's best friend died 10 years ago in a car crash. And uh, my wife and I were, she's, she can tell this entire story about her sister and I can't even tell my principals. But anyway, we were very involved with the, with the, uh, with the son, with the young man, Corey, mm-hmm. and very involved with his family. And it was, we were, and it was really the first time I had experienced such profound grief and was been surrounded by such profound grief. And what I, what was so crystal clear is that everybody mourns differently. Yeah. And you try initially to try to mourn with people in the way that you think they should mourn, and uh, it's wrong. So uh, the idea of giving people their space and just making sure that they know you're there for them, uh, but not necessarily intrude with them, and and be side by side as they navigate it, and, and be clear that uh, you're there for them when they want you. Yeah, I think that's Whew. so much of... <laughs> Uh, yeah, and, and I love that you've come to those principles organically from your own life experience. Yeah, I wish I didn't have those experiences to come to those, uh, but that's clearly what where I'm at right now. Yeah. Yes. And so I, so I apply that definitely, and that's, a, that's certainly with Ashley, all those things were a significant part of my reaction. Again, not as a leader, but just as a, a friend and a human being. Yeah. So... I, I love this idea that everyone mourns differently. Everyone needs different types of supports. Um, one of the one of the bits of research that we're really reading a lot about now is this disenfranchised grief where people give you so much space they don't want to necessarily pry, so they don't talk to you about it. Um, but that feels um, deafening. That silence is deafening for the person who needs to be supported. Uh, so can can either of you talk a little bit about what, what did you do at the chamber or maybe in some other places um, so that so that that silence wasn't deafening. How did how did people have those conversations? Um, maybe Ashley with you. How did people yeah. have those conversations so that you continued to feel supported? Yeah, it, I mean it was interesting. Everybody did have different reactions because, as we do know, everybody grieves differently, mm-hmm. and so some people did you know just have that space but acknowledge that they knew what happened. But I've also been lucky enough that. You know, after six years with the chamber, there are some colleagues who 
are not just colleagues. They're they're friends and mm-hmm. some people that I consider like family. And so they, you know, knew about the relationship I had with Elena. And uh, so they, you know, right off the bat came in with hugs and they just listened too, which was mm-hmm. really, really important for me. So it was less about them trying to share their own experiences to relate it to mine and just more of like, how are you doing? Tell me about how you're feeling. And that was really, really helpful when I was first stepping back into things. And then I think just the the continuous check-ins from time to time and understanding that I was going to have my moments and mm-hmm. that was okay if I had a moment. So if I had to step out of a meeting because I was going to cry or if I cried in a meeting, mm-hmm. nobody made me feel awkward. Mm-hmm. It was just like, we understand, you know, we, we, we see you. Mm-hmm. And so that was, that made a big difference for me when I was coming back into it mm-hmm. at work. Tom, have you ever had the experience where, um, where someone, um, has gone through some sort of grief and you're not really sure whether or not you you should err on the side of going towards them and talking to them about it or giving them their space has that ever happened to you before so i quite frankly what i've from my own experiences what i've uh done i err on the side of leaning in Mm -hmm. and uh and then kind of take the cue from the person I will say, while I, while I mentioned that everybody grieves differently, and I think that's pretty up standard and obvious, uh, probably eight times out of ten, I find people are more wanting to talk about not so much the death, but the life of the mm-hmm. person, and they loved, they want people to know them, so mm-hmm. they they enjoy the opportunity to share stories and whatever, and and a lot of people might stay away from that for fear that it's going to upset them, you know, mm-hmm. tell me about your sister, or tell me about whatever. And they're like, and, but I think inc- myself included, I want to talk about people that have, you know, that have passed in my life. And, and I think Ashley feels the same way indicative of the fact that she's so courageous to be here today with her story. Yeah, absolutely. So um, a lot of organizations are trying to figure out what's the appropriate response now that we see our workplaces as more like communities where we're supporting each other in all kinds of ways. Um, there are some organizational responses uh, that that we can talk more about. One is um, having some sort of uh facilitated conversation in in the workplace about the grief, um, about how everyone is grieving. So sometimes work wisdom is actually brought in to facilitate those kinds of conversations. In our case, it's been when there's been a person in that workplace who has passed. Um, but that can help with the collective healing in, in the workplace. Um, there are some more formal rituals um, where people have a quiet room and so you can go and sit in that quiet room Um, again this is more likely when when the person uh, was on the staff but you might set aside a room where people can go and grieve Um, there are some online platforms that allow for um, people to show their their suffering as well as um, how they've honored the life of that person. Did did you have any online platforms where people were sharing stories or? Yeah, no, not really. Okay. Not through the workplace. I mean, I've 
personally use like my own my own like Facebook account if you yeah. want to say it as like a way to that's been sort of therapeutic for mm-hmm. me throughout this process because mm-hmm. I certainly share a lot about Elena and mm-hmm. just like the different parts of my grief during this process but mm-hmm. as something formal in the workplace no we didn't have it yeah and you know um one thing um that's pretty helpful in most organizations is to have some sort of employee assistance program. It sounds like mm-hmm. there is something like that at the chamber. Is, yes. Yeah. And how how has that been helpful either to you or to other people that you know have used it, Tom? Yeah. Ashley? Well, for me, it was helpful um, because after everything happened with Elena and, um, you know, I, I sought out Um, therapy right away Mm -hmm. so I was able to use the program to help with that Mm -hmm. which has just been tremendous for me the past year and helping to navigate all of the feelings that come along with Mm -hmm. grief and especially one in the circumstances that we had because Elena was so young Mm -hmm. and she left behind a son and so there's just a lot of like moving pieces to it that I continue to struggle with and work through so that has been it was it was really helpful to have that in place for me to take advantage of yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm hearing that you've done a lot of healing. You know, with grief, we say mm-hmm. we never actually um, fully recover. You know, um, we hold that person in our yeah. hearts for the rest of our lives. And I, I like the way that you're talking about celebrating her life, being able to talk about mm-hmm. her. Um, so I, I'd like to think about, are there other suggestions other than the ones that we've talked about um being supportive of course we you mentioned food we are in lancaster county you know (laughs) there's got to be casseroles right um yeah that's really important Mm -hmm. um yeah and and obviously therapy um having conversations having leaders who are willing to say to you go be with your family take as much time as you need um is are there other other sort of concrete ways that you would recommend to other workplaces that might be trying to deal with grief that would be suggestions they could they could pursue do you have any other ideas I think for you know folks that are in like a leadership or management role it's helpful to have like some training around like emotional intelligence mm-hmm. and just being able to respond to grief in a really empathetic way. Mm-hmm. So really having that listening skill and understanding of the process because it is, um, as we know, not something that you just get over. No, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like that. And a year, two year, 10 years down the road, people are still having reactions from whatever trauma they experience. So you know, if there's formal training that employers can put in place, I think that could be helpful. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Can you think of anything else? I just, I think I just keep going back to the idea that uh, when there's, when tragedy strikes or there's incidents uh, such as what Ashley's explained, it's not, I guess you can never totally distance yourself from the role, but, but the, the kind of the, the different uh, levels of, of, of uh, in the workplace that typically exist are, should kind of be thrown out the window. Mm-hmm. Uh, none of that matters anymore. And it's all coming together and just trying to make sure that each one of us do what we can to try to make her feel better, kind of regardless of our uh, title or anything like that. But I, but I also totally agree with Ashley relative to the uh, the empathy or some the, some type of training aspect. And and again, that's because it's not easy for a lot of people, and uh, and it historically hasn't been easy for me. It's over the years, it's gotten easier, uh, sadly, but it is. And uh, but 
it can feel very lonely if everybody around you just has no idea how to deal with it, and there you are uh, mourning in a, in a place that doesn't acknowledge it only because there's, they don't know how to. Yeah, absolutely. I like that idea very much of, of training the workplace about how to be supportive of each other. You know, we celebrate births, you know, Mm -hmm. we have baby showers and wedding showers in the workplace. And so helping people um, move through this chapter is Mm -hmm. every bit as important. Um, Maybe even more so when it comes to finding uh, meaning in your work. We know that organizations who who collectively grieve, who are supportive during these chapters, these hard parts of your life, really build loyalty and engagement. Um, I was gonna I was gonna mention that also as it dawns on me because it is I think as our staff, uh, you know, we we refer to ourselves occasionally as as many workplaces do as like the chamber family, and mm-hmm. you know, and it's kind of a cliche mm-hmm. and. And it's easy to party with a family, or it's easy to go bowling, or it's easy to whatever. But it is it is times like what Ashley went through that really test that you know uh, family aspect of, of what you claim to be. Uh, and in our case, I think uh, every single person rose to that occasion, and and uh, we we in some ways took some pride, maybe in retrospect, the fact that we it it worked. We were we when when it when the tough times of the family were demanded, we responded like yeah. a family. Yeah, absolutely, that's fantastic. Uh, so, in addition to um, the support of the leader, um, as well as the support of the colleagues, things like an EAP, um, things like formally helping them extend their leave through. Um, you know, creative ways of managing paid time off. Um, There are some other ways of managing grief in the workplace. One is a a grieving circle. I know that we are currently facilitating a grieving circle with one nonprofit here in Lancaster, um, where they come every month, and there are eight of them, and they, they move through the stages of um, the Kubler-Ross um, stages of death as as they talk about some of their work. So we can be really creative um, and really supportive in how we help people through these very difficult chapters. So I just want to thank you both for taking the time and the emotional energy to have this difficult conversation. I really think... Um, how the chamber managed this was beautiful and human-centered. And I hope other organizations can see this as a role model because one thing we know is every organization goes through this. And you can either manage it well or not, um, but, it, but it really does help build deep bonds if you can manage it well. And can I just say I just really want to thank and applaud Ashley for willing to share her story yeah. so that others can learn about it and, and how honored I am that she asked me to sit next to her so that we could do this together. So oh, thank you, Thank Ashley. you for doing it with me and thank you for asking me. And, you know, I, I know um, Tom said it a couple times, but uh, and I hear it from other people too as they say, you know, there's surprised sometimes at how strong I'm being throughout Mm -hmm. this whole process. And I 100% attribute that to Elena. I don't know if it's like, if if you whatever you believe in, but I swear that she's just right here keeping me strong 100% of the time. Mm. And uh, that's, that's where it comes from. But um, yeah, I, I was honored to be here 
Well, you honor well. her well with your <laughs> Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. She was the strong one most okay. of the time. So <laughs> yeah. without her, I've she's with me and I, I have it now. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that's such a beautiful mm-hmm. idea that we can mm-hmm. strengthen each other and yep. that we are contagious. And whether it's in the workplace or in our families, mm-hmm. that we can sort of give each other our best and, and then yep. they can become even better versions of themselves so i I love to see um i love to see the chamber family moving through this together so thank you so much i'm really grateful for you um taking the time to be here today um thank you listeners for downloading the behaviorist and we hope you'll subscribe you can reach out to us through our website, workwisdomllc.com, where you can enjoy Work Wisdom Press and productions, ask questions, and give us suggestions of topics you'd like us to explore in future episodes, even challenging ones like how do we grieve collectively in the workplace. As is our custom, we'd like to leave you with a quote. This week's quote comes from Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. The reality is that you will grieve forever. You will not get over the loss of a loved one. You will learn to live with it. You will heal and you will rebuild yourself around the loss you have suffered. Mm